uh, just a few, just a, a short background on the book of Hosea, just so, so we can know where we're at in the study this morning. So Hosea is, again, it's the first of the minor prophets in our Bible, in, my, in our Bible. but as far as chronologically, you know, he'll fit somewhere around the same time as Isaiah, uh, the same time as Jeremiah, uh, but, but, but he's the first of the minor prophets. Now, he's not a minor prophet, he's not considered a minor prophet because he was little or short or because he wasn't as, uh, he didn't have as much as an impact, but just because of the, of the content of, of, of his writings, you know, it's, it's, they're, they're small chapters, it's a small book, so in our Bible it's labeled as a, as a minor prophet, but he was a mighty man indeed. And so the, the book of Hosea was written by the prophet Hosea, who was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel, and that makes him... I'll mention it later on, but that makes him the second prophet from, that comes out of the northern kingdom of Israel. Typically, you know, when we read about the prophets and we study the Bible, all the prophets typically came out of the southern kingdom of Judah. And so Hosea, along with uh, Jonah, are the, only of, are the only prophets who came out of the northern kingdom of Israel. And so that's Hosea. And uh, not, not much is known about this prophet. I mean, we have his name, we have uh, who his dad is and, 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 and the time that he prophesied. And that's about it. But he's not really mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Um... We do know that his, his name Hosea comes from the Hebrew word uh, Hosea, which is uh, also comes you know similar to, to Joshua, which means salvation. So the name of the name of Hosea means salvation. Now Hosea lived in the middle to in the middle to late eighth century BC. Um, the theme of, of the of the book of Hosea is God's loyal love for His covenant people Israel, and in spite of their idolatry. I mean, as we read through the whole book of Isaiah, we see this, uh, this uh, similitude. You know, some people have, have falsely, you know, um, um, categorized the book of Hosea as an allegory, saying, you know, the stuff that went on in Hosea, it, it didn't happen for real. It was just kind of, you know, an allegory. It was just kind of more like a poem and just more kind of like a parable. Uh, but, but not so. Um, you could believe that the things that Hosea went through, the things that he writes about, you know, it did happen for reals. You know, so it's not an allegory. It's not a parable. It's not a, you know, it's not a poem. It's not a, a poetic book, but it's, it's, it's a similitude. You know, and so... We see that that, uh, that Hosea married a woman by the name of Gomer, and um, we see that, that 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 she was labeled and she was described by God as a wife of prostitution, you know, and a woman who who bore Hosea three children, you know, so she bore him two sons and a daughter, and we see that God uses the names used the names of Hosea's children along with his wife's unfaithfulness to send specific messages to the people of Israel, and now not only does the book of Hosea provide an example of God's love to a people who have left them, you know, who have left God behind, who have forsaken God, but it also shows us, you know, as a body of Christ, as, as a church, it shows us what forgiveness and restoration look like in a close relationship to the Lord. Now, in it, we see the love of God unto the nation of Israel. It's, it's primarily written unto the nation of Israel, but, you know, we also see it, uh, uh, we, we see it as unto us, his, his children, you know, the, the bride of Christ, his kids. You know, and so the theme of Hosea, again, God's love, you know, God's loyalty to an, to an unloving, unloyal, unfaithful people. But also we see that no one is beyond the forgiveness of God. You know, and, that, and that's the main theme of, of the book of Hosea. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. So with that, we'll get into verse 1 of the book of Hosea. And it says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. And verse 2 says, When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. And verse 3 says, So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of uh, Diblim, and she conceived and bore him a son. 
And we'll stop right there. So we're, we're introduced to Hosea in verse 1. Um, and we see that, again, that this, this is the only mention of Hosea in, in the Bible. Um, you know, apart from, from the book of Hosea, he's not mentioned anywhere else. Uh, nowhere, nowhere else does the Bible mention him. Um, but we know from, from these few verses, well, we know that, that he prophesied during 760 and 720 B.C. because of the kings that he mentioned there. Both the, the, southern king, the, the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah and uh, King Jeroboam, you know, who's, who's, a son, who's a king of Israel. Wicked king, horrible king. You know, and so we, we see that, again, Hosea was one of two prophets uh, from the northern kingdom of Israel. You know, the other guy being, being Jonah. You know, and we see that the Lord speaks to Hosea and says, go. He says, go, Hosea, and take a wife of harlotry. Meaning, you know, take a prostitute, you know, as a wife. Go and take a wife of harlotry, children of harlotry, for Israel has committed great harlotry. So again, not a not an allegory, not a parable, not a you know a, a poetic, you know, not with a poetic sense, but this is a, a similitude. And so Hosea is really going to obey the Lord, you know, being a prophet of the Lord. He's going to take this this woman, you know, to be his wife. He's going to love her. He's going to take her in. He's going to marry her, you know, and he's going to be faithful to her, though she's going to uh, cheat on him and, and 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 do all kinds of crazy things behind his back. Not even behind his back, just right here in his face. And so again, we see that Hosea speaks to him. He says, "All right, take take Gomer as as, as your wife. You know, take this wife." Of harlotry. Now, the life and ministry of Hosea will serve as a picture of nature of of the of the nation of Israel's spiritual decay. And as we go through the book of Hosea, and we see just you know all the things that, that Hosea goes through with his wife Gomer, it's going to serve as a as a spiritual uh, picture of, of the of the decay of the nation of Israel at the time. And so, throughout the Old Testament, God refers to the nation of Israel as His bride. You know, one of my favorite instances where in which He does that. Is in the book of Jeremiah. I love this verse, Jeremiah three fourteen, where where God through the prophet Jeremiah speaks to the nation of Israel, and He says, "Return to me, O backsliding children, for I am married to you," says the Lord. I love that. I love that. Return to me, backsliding children, for I am married to you, says the Lord. And, and, and God is a faithful one in this covenant, in this covenant of marriage. You know, we could be the unfaithful ones. You know, Israel was the unfaithful one in that covenant of marriage, but God was faithful. He was the one, the one that was pursuing. He was the one that was putting in all the work. He was the one that was that was wooing them back to Himself. And so God says, "Return to me, O backslidden children, for I am married to you," says the Lord. Interesting that in the New Testament, concerning the church there in Ephesians five twenty-two, you don't have to turn there, but Ephesians five twenty-two and and uh, thirty-three, uh, Paul actually compares the the union between a, a husband and bride, you know, hus- husband and wife, between uh, Christ and the church, and he calls us the bride of Christ. He calls the church, the body of Christ, all of us here. If you're giving your life to the Lord, he calls us the the, the bride of Christ, and he calls Christ our bridegroom. And so we see that God instructs Hosea to marry a woman who is a known prostitute. You know, and so with, with all this, we see that Hosea, Hosea will feel what God feels, you know, as he watches the nation prostitute itself to false idols, to foreign gods, to idolatry over and over again while belonging to him as a people. You know, and so Hosea is going to feel every single sting, every single blow and wait that he's going to gain the heart of the, the heart of God. And so. We see that, that people will see this relationship that Hosea has with this prostitute and, and ridicule him, probably embarrass him. You could just imagine he was like the talk of the town, right? Here's Hosea. He marries a known prostitute. It wasn't hidden. You know, he has kids with, with her, you know, and she's going to have a kid with someone else. And, and, and yet, you know, here's Hosea and he's being ridiculed. He's being embarrassed. He's being, you know, looked at. He's being talked about. You know, everywhere we go, there, he's, 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 they're talking about him. You know, he's the talk of the town. And so... You know, with that, you know, they're going to pity him and, and then they will realize that this is exactly what their relationship with God looks like. So just imagine that, you know, just imagine the, the thing that's going to happen on the people as they're just ridiculing Hosea for his relationship with Gomer. And then realizing, like, man, that's how we're acting with the Lord. 
And that's the whole point, you know, that, that God was trying to, to, to get this message across to the nation of Israel. Ouch. You know, so he marries a prostitute, you know, by the name of Gomer. And then verse 4 tells us, it says, Then the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. So this is the first son. He says that, that Gomer conceived. And verse 4 says, Then the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in a little while, I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. And God said to him, call her name Lorohamai, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah, who will save, will save them by the, by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow nor by sword or battle, by horsemen or by horses. And verse 8 says, now when she had weaned Lorohamai, she, she conceived and bore a son. Then God said, call his name Loami, for you are not my people and I will not be your God. And we'll stop right there. And so we see that, that, that they get married and she gets pregnant with their first son. And I mean, you can imagine, you know, Hosea marries Gomer and he's probably thinking, man, all right, you know, I'm providing a house for her. I'm, I'm being a faithful husband. I'm giving her love. Maybe she'll turn away from, from her heart on the tree. Maybe she'll turn away from prostitution. Maybe she'll give up that lifestyle and want to settle down, you know, and, and be a mother and, and, be a, and be a wife, you know, and she'll just accept my love and let me just provide for her. That's probably, you know, you, you can just imagine all the things that are going through his head as God is calling him to do that. You know, because when God calls him to marry Gomer, he doesn't give her, he, he doesn't give him the whole picture. He doesn't say, all right, look, you're going to marry her. You're going to be faithful to her. She's going to cheat on you. She's not going to want anything to do with you. You, you know, she's going to still go around and talk to herself. He doesn't know all this. You know, so he's just taking it step by step, you know, as God is calling, to, calling him to do all these things. And so, again, you could just imagine he marries her. He's probably thinking, all right, man, I'm going to kind of, you know, be like the knight in shining armor, you know, rescue her. And yet we're going to see that she won't need to, that, 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 that he's going to soon find out. You know, that that's not the case. You know, now you would think that she would settle down and be content with the husband that loves her and is willing to commit to her despite, you know, her past, despite her, 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 her sin. Uh, but yet her heart will be set on sin, you know, and her, her heart will be set on, on prostitution, on harlotry. You know, and, and that speaks volumes to us because uh, how many times do, does that describe our lives with the Lord? I mean, maybe we're not physically, you know, doing all these things, but, but yet spiritually, right? God has, God has betrothed us, you know, unto himself. You know, he has sealed us. He has called us his bride. And yet, you know, our, our, our hearts sometimes sway away from the Lord, right? And, and we give ourselves over to, to, these, to these other things, right? And, and forsake the Lord, forsake our relationship with the, with the Lord. You know, and the Bible says that, that God is a jealous God. That doesn't mean that he's going to be over there looking at our text messages, going through our phone, nothing like that. But I mean, in a holy, reverent way, God is a holy God. And he's a jealous God. You know, and, and, he, and he's jealous for us. Why? Because he loves us. You know, and when God is jealous, I mean, that's like in its purest form. Right? We could see that word, oh, yeah, jealousy. You know, and, and it's all tainted and distorted because of our sinful nature, because our sinful, our, our sinful ways. But, but when the Bible says that God is jealous, when the Bible says that, that God is jealous, it's, it's jealousy in its purest form. And so... Again, you can see, you can just imagine Jose, you know, what he's going through at this time. You know, so again, he's going to soon find out that, that, that that's not the case, you know, that, that Gomer is not going to want anything to do with him. You know, and again, it speaks volumes to us, right? And I definitely believe that that's why the Lord was, was, was bringing me, you know, to this book because he wanted to minister to me. You know, and I had to kind of stop and just do a heart check. I'm like, all right, Lord, what area of my heart, you know, have, give, have I given over, you know, to, to prostitution? What, what area of my heart have, have I kind of, you know, dedicated to something else and forsaken you in? All right, there's this little book. It's like man, literally, like I'm looking, it's literally like this, this thin, and like, and like this big. It's called uh, "My Heart, Christ's Home." I don't know if you guys ever read it. You know, it's like four pages long, and it's his poem. You know, and and, and the writer, he's a 
he's, he's pretty much, you know, he's inviting Christ into his heart and he's describing his heart as, as a house, you know, he says, yeah, and Jesus came in and he was in the living room, you know, and he came into the living room of, of my heart, you know, and, and, he, and he took over my living room and he went into the kitchen, and he took over the kitchen, you know, and that was all right. And then he went to this, this, this room right here and then, you know, he took over that room, he cleaned it out a little bit, it was okay. But when he got to the closet, and the, this is the, the writer speaking, says, when he got to the closet, I said, no, Jesus, don't go in there. You don't want to see what's in there. You know, and, and, and so the, the, the poem, the little book goes on to say, you know, that, that Jesus eventually, he tells him, oh, I, and, and, and I, I, I want to be the Lord of this little room as well, of this little closet. You know, and, and, and it's, it's, it's amazing because, you know, sometimes in our hearts, you know, we give our heart to the Lord, we give our life to the Lord, but yeah, there's still that little closet. Even if it's just a little, you know, maybe two by two, by, by, by two by two, you know, square little area of our hearts. But, but yes, guess what? God wants to be the Lord of that little two by two square foot area as well. You know, he does. He wants to be the, the, the God. He wants to be the Lord of every single crack and crevice of our heart. He wants to own our heart. Not part of it. Not, not 98% of it. Not 99.9% of it. But all of it. Right? And so we see that God saves us. He washes us from our sin. He accepts us and makes us part of his family. You know, and he loves us despite our, our ugly past as well. You know, he called Hosea to, to marry Gomer. He called Hosea to, to marry this prostitute and love her despite her past. And I definitely believe that, that Hosea being a godly man, being a prophet, that he did. I definitely believe that he was able, that, that God empowered him, that God gave him to overlook her past, to overlook, you know, her, her sins, to overlook, you know, what, what, what she had been involved in, overlook her, reputa her reputation. And I definitely believe that he loved her. He loved her. You know, and so I said, well, you know, God takes us in. You know, he, the Bible says that he sanctifies us. He washes us. He, he, he puts his, the, his seal the, of his Holy Spirit on, on our hearts as well, on our lives as well. You know, he invites us into the family of God. He makes us his own, you know, despite our earthly past as well. You know, I was reading this, I was like, man, I was in tears. I'm like, man, Lord, that's me. You know, I'm a homer, I'm Gomer, I'm that prostitute. You know, I'm the, the, the one with the ugly past, and yet you've sealed and sanctified and washed me and accepted me. And like the Bible says, make, he, you've made me uh, 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 loved and the beloved. And so that's us, you know. But yet sometimes we return to our past life, you know, not realizing who it is that we belong to now. And so we're told again that, that, uh, that Gomer bore their first son, uh, Jezreel. You know, and this first son Jezreel, the name actually means scattered. Jezreel means scattered. And it spoke of how the nation of Israel would soon be scattered by the Assyrians who would conquer them. You know, and interesting that then she bore a daughter and she named the daughter Lorohamai. And the, main, the, the name Lorohamai means no mercy. And he says, for I will no longer have mercy on Israel. Now, this daughter would be a warning to everyone in Israel that God was, was done being gracious with them. You know, he had extended grace, he had extended love, he had extended mercy, but, but, but that period of grace was going to come to an end. You know, and so as, as Hosea has his second daughter with Gomer, you know, and he, he names her no mercy, it was going to be a sign to the whole nation of Israel. That's it, man. God's, God's period of mercy is, is, is over. You know, and God said, I'm, I'm not going to have mercy on you no, any longer. You know, and so we see that, that God was done being gracious with them, but he would still have mercy on the, on the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, interesting that when Assyria conquered Israel, they actually fought against Judah as well. You know, and this, and this prophecy that through Hosea actually came true when, when Hosea says there in verse 7, it says, Yeah, I will have mercy on the house of Judah, will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword or battle, by horses or by or by, by horsemen. So what God is saying is, is that, look, I'm not going to have mercy on, on, the, on the northern kingdom of Israel, but I'm going to have mercy on the southern kingdom of Judah. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to defend them, but it's not going to be by bow, by arrow, by human means. And interesting that 
Uh, they're actually in the book of Second Kings 19. You can read it on your own time. Second Kings 19, we have this, we have this, uh, this history of the nation of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, where Assyria, after they had conquered the northern kingdom of, of Israel, they conquered, they conquered the northern kingdom. They took them over. They took them in as slaves. And when they went down to Judah, Second uh, Kings 19 tells us that that the Lord made an angel, you know, appear and slay like three thousand of those guys, all those guys. It's so interesting. And now we're told there in verse eight. Uh, and verse eight and verse nine, that, that now you know she's gonna have their second son. So now three kids, three kids, and the second son they named Loemi. Now the name Loemi means not my people, and it says, "For you are not my people, and I will not be your God." Now it's not that God rejected to be their God. He's not saying, "All right, you're not my people, and I'm not your God. I'm done with you." It's not that God was saying, "Look, I don't want to be your God anymore. I don't want you. I don't want you to be my people anymore." It's not that God was was refusing to be their God. But it's that they rejected God from being their God. Right? God was willing. God, God is always willing. That's what the Bible tells us. You know, and, and that doesn't change his character. That doesn't change who he is. That doesn't change his attributes. Right? Peter tells us in 1 Peter that, that God is willing that none should perish. But that all should come to, to salvation. And, and to repentance. And so it's not that, that God was refusing to be their God. But again, it's that they were rejecting him from ruling over them. You know, it's because they love their idolatry too much. You know, they love their sin. They love their, their, their false god. They love their bales. They love all this other false god worship too much. Now, it's actually believed that, that, that this son, this, this second son that they had, Loemi, was not actually Hosea's. You know, because Gomer continued in prostitution. She got pregnant and then bore this son. And so they named him, you know, not my people or not my son. And so you could just imagine, you know, here's Hosea being faithful to his wife, Gomer. She has one son uh, by him, then a, then a daughter. And then she's out there still doing her thing, you know, prostituting herself. You know, again, a picture of the nation of Israel, a picture of the spiritual decay of the nation of Israel. And all of a sudden she gets pregnant and she's out there. Everybody would have known. You know, he probably would look different. He probably would have, you know, everybody knew what she was up to. And so they knew that when she got pregnant, hey, that's not Hosea's kid. You know, and, and this, is, this was, was to serve as a picture for the nation of Israel saying, hey, you're not my people. Just like that's not Hosea's kid, you're not my people. Why? Because your heart is far, is far from me. Because your heart has is, is gone astray. Because you love the world too much. Because you love your idolatry way too much. And so it goes on to say in verse 10, it says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it should be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. So we're seeing restoration. Then the children of Israel and the children of uh, then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land. For great will be the day of Jezreel. And then chapter two, verse one says, "Say to your brethren, my people, and say to your sisters, mercy is shown." And so we're seeing a picture of God's restoration on the nation of Israel. You know, God told them that that they were that they were going to experience judgment, but that it wouldn't be forever. God's judgment is, you know, on us. You know, it's not forever, right? He judges sin, you know, but it was, it was, it was judged at the cross. And once it's judged at, once it's judged at the cross, you know, it's not going to be judged anymore. Once we're, once we're made righteous in Christ, once, you know, we've taken on the righteousness of Christ, you know, we don't have to worry about, oh, man, well, I wonder if God's going to accept me, you know, the day that I'm face to face with him. Yes, he will. Why? Right? Because cause it, was, it, was, it's, it was done at the cross. And so for the nation of Israel... Again, we see that God told them that, that they were going to go through, through judgment, they were going to experience judgment, but that it wasn't going to be forever. God was going to redeem them. And now this is partially fulfilled you know, uh, through Christ, but th- there will be a day when, when Jesus will reign on his throne over not just Israel, but the whole world. Right? That's what the Bible tells us. 
Now, we see that God shows them restoration where it was thought that it was impossible. You know, it's like you, we read all these things. We say, you're far from me. You're not my people. Mercy, the, the, the period of mercy is over. You know, you're, 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 uh, you're rejecting me from being your God. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not your God. You're not my people. And so we see that, that God is showing them restoration in the areas where they thought it was least possible. Like in the darkest, filth, most filthiest, most you know, impossible areas of their lives. God is showing them, look, I'm going to bring restoration in those areas. Right? And so we see... You know, again, that he says, yeah, you're not my people. And then he says, but you're going to be the sons of the living God. You know, you're not my people. You're, you're my people and mercy is going to be shown. Right? For he said, look, I'm done with mercy. You're not my people. And now he's saying, you're going to be my people. Mercy is going to be extended again. I love that because the book of uh, Lamentations 321, uh, Jeremiah writes there in Lamentations and he says, I love this, these verses. Uh, Lamentations 321, 25 says, this I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. And so the, the prophet Jeremiah is saying, look. Whenever I think about this, man, it just breathes, you know, this burst of hope into my heart. It breathes this burst of hope into my lungs. He says, this I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Then he says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. And so we see that God's heart, God's desire is always to extend mercy. You know, always to, to extend love, always to, to extend uh, loving kindness, long suffering. I love what the psalmist says there in Psalm 25, 6. He says, remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses. For they are from old, are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. For your goodness sake, Lord. According to your mercy, remember me. And God is a merciful God. He's always uh, desiring to, to extend mercy you know, beyond judgment. He's desiring to extend mercy. And that's what he's going to do to the nation of Israel. That's what, what, what he was speaking to, to Hosea, you know, uh, uh, about his sons, you know, but, but also uh, to, to the nation as a whole. He's saying, hey, in the place where you're most lost, that's where you can experience mercy, right? And so chapter 2, verse 2 says, Bring charges against your mother. Bring charges for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Let her put away her, holly, her harlotries from her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. Verse 4. I will not have mercy on her children for they are the children of harlotry for their mother has played the harlot. She who, she who conceived them has behaved shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. And so we'll stop right there. And so we see that the, that the restoration that God promised to Israel was dependent on one thing, and that was their repentance. You know, and so what, what he's saying is, like, look, unless you repent, you know, then this can't happen. Right. He's saying that, that, the, that the restoration that God promised to Israel was dependent on their repentance. And now we see that God called them to turn away from their sins, from their harlotries, and they were committing these, 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 these sins, you know, these harlotries with these foreign gods, with these false idols, with the Baals, you know, the worship of, these, of, of all these other uh, foreign gods. And now in this, you know, we see a key principle. And we see that, that, that there can be no restoration apart from a turning away of sin. And that was the case for the nation of Israel, and that's the case in, in our lives as well, that there could be no restoration apart from the turning away of sin. For us as well, um, Paul tells us there in Acts 17.30, as, as, as he's addressing the, the church of Thessalonica, he tells us there in Acts 17.30, he says, Truly these times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. 
John says in 1 John 1, 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that. Right? And, so, and so God is calling us to, to a turning away from, from our old habits, to a turning away from our sins. You know, that, that we're repenting, that's all it means is it's a turning away. Right? Something we get turned off by. I mean, I, I do. I get turned off by those guys who are at the corner with the repent or burning in hell type of thing. You know? and, and so we tend to look at the, at the word repent as a bad thing because you know, it's, been, it's been given like a bad image. And we say, hey, repent or go to hell, repent or burn, or, you know, it's extreme stuff. You know, and, and, but really what that word, that word repent is actually, it's a beautiful word. It's a beautiful word because it, it describes a turning away from. You know, it's like if you're going one direction, you repent, and all, uh, what it means is you, you make a 180, you know, and you turn away from the, from the direction you were going in your heart and how you seek the Lord. Right? It's a beautiful word. And so we see, again, that, that there can be no restoration apart from a turning away of sin. But with that, you know, on the other side of that coin, God tells us again in 1 John 1, 9, that we confess our sins, that's repentance, that's to God. And if we confess our sins to God, we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to not just forgive us our sins. You know, it's one thing to say, all right, you're forgiven. And he says, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, that's like saying, all right, you're cleansed, you're washed, that's it. You know, you can't get dirty again, that's it. You know, Jesus would, would uh, I think it's in John 13, he's speaking to His disciples you know, and, he, and he's telling his, his disciples, all right, you guys remember the chapter where he's washing their feet, right? And he begins to, to wash their feet. And then, uh, and then Peter says, no way, Lord, you're not touching my feet. You know, I've been walking around you know, Judah all day. You know, I'm, they're all dirty. And, and Jesus says, hey, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. And what does Peter say? He's like, all right, give me a whole bath. <laughs> you know, give me the bathtub. Right? He said, give me a bath. And, and Jesus says to him, you know, he who is washed doesn't need to be washed again, you know, but just his feet. Right? And, and what, he's, what he's saying is that, look, man, us who are sanctified, us who are made righteous in Christ, us who are living this, like First John says, you know, that, that, that he would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's like, you don't have to go back and be cleansed from all unrighteousness over and over again every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Friday, you know, whenever you sin and whenever you fall short. No, just your feet. Right? As, as we're made righteous and beloved, as God has sanctified us, cleansed us, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, taken away our, our unrighteousness, made, made us whole in Him, you know, we still walk through this earth, you know, we still get caught up in sin, you know, but... Just our feet get dirty. So we have to come back to the Lord so you can just, you know, continue to wash our feet. Now our whole body, you know, we're already cleansed. We're already washed. We're already sanctified. We're already stamped, you know, with the, with the Holy Spirit. We're, we're already uh, beloved. We're, we're already accepted in Him. We're already part of His family. You know, it's just our feet. <laughs> just our feet. And so we see again that, that He calls the nation of Israel to, to this turning away from their sin. You know, to, the, to this turning away from, uh, to this repentance. Now, there can't be any excuses though. You know, in the case of the nation of Israel, uh, what does Gomer say? She says there in, in verse 5, says, For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread, my water, my wool, my linen, my oil, my drink. You know, and so in other words, she, she's saying, I have to keep doing this or else I'm going to go broke or I'm going to starve. You know, I'm dependent on, on my lovers. I'm dependent on my, you know, on my clients. What it is her clients? I'm dependent on them or else, you know, how am I going to get by? You know, and now... They weren't willing to trust the, the Lord. You know, again, this is a similitude. This, uh, you know, picture of the nation of Israel. They weren't willing to trust the Lord for the for the for the provision, but instead they were going to to all these other nations, to to Egypt. You know, to to uh, and they were worshiping these false gods. You know, they were going to the nations around them for their provision instead of trusting the Lord. How how God had commanded them to, hey, just trust in me, right? But instead they were they were going to all these to all these other uh, uh, nations and all and worshiping their false gods and taking part in their in their in their practices. And so God is saying, hey, look, I want to be your provider. He's telling them, look, all these things that you have, I want to be the one that gives them to you. But they were making excuses, right? They weren't willing to trust the Lord. Now, notice what God's going to do. Verse 6, 
It says, Therefore, behold, as God speaking, it says, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and, and wall her in so that she cannot find her paths. Verse 7, she will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. And then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then it was better for me than now. For she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they, which they prepared for Baal. That false god Baal. And so notice what the Lord says. He says, I will hedge up her way. With thorns, I meaning I'm gonna put a little hedge of thorns around, you know, around, you know, all her little plans, all things she's trying to get away. I'm, I'm gonna put a little hedge of thorns uh, around her. And so what God is doing is, is that is that God was going to make it difficult for her to run off and do her own thing. Yeah, he was still, she was still gonna go off, but God was gonna make it difficult, you know, as he was gonna make it painful. You know, and, and, and whenever she'd go astray and, and, and you know, she would run into a painful thorn, then she'd hit this corner and try to go this way and she'd you know, run into another painful thorn. And now these painful thorns are just circumstances that would, that would, that would happen in her life that would cause her you know, to, to, to have pain inflicted on her as a result of, of, of the lifestyle she was living. You know, so whenever she'd go astray, she'd run into a painful thorn you know, and, and not find her past. She'd be kind of just lost, just wandering. Right? Now, and then we're told that she'd chase her lovers but not catch up to them. And that would be her life. She would just run, 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 catch, and, and chase her, her, lo- her lovers, but yet not, not, uh, not catch up to them. And it says, then, after that, then she would get tired of running, tired of running into thorns at every turn and realize, and she would say, I need to go back to my husband, you know, my, my first love, because man, I had a good when I was with them. You know, and so we see that, that for us, the bride of Christ, the church, for us here, you know, as individuals, sometimes we go astray from the Lord. And, and, and maybe we know someone who's gone astray. Maybe us, hey, your relationship with the Lord is uh, 110%. Praise God. <laughs> but sometimes we have a little seasons in our lives where our hearts just kind of tend to wander. Right? There's that one hymn. Uh, I don't know what it's called, but Liz knows that. I love that hymn. It says, you know, uh, uh, prone to wander. You know, Lord, I feel like, like my heart is prone to, to, to leave the God I love. Right? I love that hymn. Right? Because it's so true and it so describes us as a people, so describes us, you know, as, as, as children of God. Like, hey, man, even though we love the Lord, you know, we're just, we live in this sinful world, you know, and we're not being perfect yet. And our hearts are just prone to wander. They're just prone to leave the God that we love. And it makes no sense because we love God. It makes no sense because we see all, the, all His blessings on our lives. It makes no sense because we realize what He's done in our lives. But yeah, our hearts just kind of just tug away, right, and, and try to run away from the Lord. And so we see that God loves us so much. You know, he loves us so much that he won't allow us to be comfortable in our pursuit of sin. And this is what was happening with Gomer. You know, he's saying, look, I'm going to put those, those little thorns around her. I'm not going to force her, but I'm not going to make it easy for her either. You know, so I'm, I'm going to make her realize, like, look, that it's painful. You know, that, 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 that I think I believe it's in Isaiah where he says the life of the transgressor is hard. You know, the life of the transgressor is hard. And so what he, that's what he's doing. He's causing her to realize, like, man, this is a tough life. I had a good when I was back at home with my husband who loves me. You know, and again, this was to serve as, as a picture for the nation of Israel. You know, that Israel was going to realize, like, man, we're out here serving the Baals. We're out here serving these false gods. We're out here striving. Man, but, but yet we had a good when, when we were just, you know, under God's protection as a theocracy, just under, under his rule. Right? And so for us, he'll let us run and chase the wind and come up short. He will. God's not going to force you to serve him. God's not going to force you to love him. God's not going to force you to, you know, to, to dedicate your life to him. But he'll, if you want to run, he's going to let us run, right? I mean, I've experienced it myself. You know, I tried to run from the Lord for like a year. And that was like the hardest year of my life because I knew the Lord. You know, my heart wanted to serve him. I was already, you know, born again. But yet I was chasing my, my, my I was chasing the wind, right? Chasing my own desires. That was the toughest year of my life. 
It was a while ago, so don't worry. <laughs> like, man, you just had to come back. Right? But, but, but interesting that, that the Lord will let us do that, man. He'll let us chase the wind and come up short. Why? Because He loves us. You know, He'll let us make the wrong turn and run into thorns because He's trying to open up our eyes to something. Right? He's trying to get us to realize how good it is to just be at peace with God. I mean, man, when I surrender my life to the Lord and say, Lord, just do whatever you want with me. Whatever, Lord. I got like this much of my life left. If you want it, you can have it. It's like, and the moment when we just surrender fully to Him, man, just the peace that comes with just knowing that, all right, God, you're in control of my life. I'm back at home with you, Lord. It's like, like this, <laughs> right? And so we see that uh, there in verse 8, you know how it says, there in verse 8 says, she didn't know that I gave her a grain, her new wine, her new wine, her oil, etc. Meaning that, that everything that she had been chasing out there in the world, you know, she had a home with her, with her loving husband. She's out there chasing the wind. She's out there chasing, you know, uh, her, her lovers because she's thinking, right, oh, man, my lover's giving my bread and my water, my wool, my linen, my oil, my drink. She's thinking, if I don't do this, you know, I'm not going to survive. I got to live. I got to work. I got to eat, right? And then God says there in verse 8, she didn't know that I was the one who gave her grain, new, new wine, oil, etc. You know, so she had been out there chasing, you know, these things in the world, not realizing that, that she had them at home with her loving husband. And how does that serve, a, you know, that, that serve as such a, such a clear picture of our lives sometimes, right? As, as believers, and we we we're, right, we're there in the you know, I, I mean, God has us there like in the, under the shadow of His wing. How it says in Psalms, He has us under the shadow of the wing. Then we leave. We think, oh, you know, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go find find security. I'm gonna go find shade over there. And then, you know, we never find it. We come up, we come up shore. We get scorched by the hot sun, and we realize, man, you know, the shade was right here under His wing the whole time. I gotta go back, right? So for us as Christians, sometimes, again, the things that the world has to offer seem enticing. Oh, man, that seems good. I'll come back to the Lord once I get this. I'll come back. All right, I'll be all right. We chase after something that, 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 that we're missing only to find out at the end, you know, that we had it all along in Christ. Love, peace, security, right, comfort. All these things, you know, that, that, that the world tries to entice you with as false enticement. We will go out there, we chase it, love. And then we realize, man, we come up short. It's not what, what the, you know, it's not like how, how the commercial says it. I don't know if you guys ever seen those commercials and stuff. They are advertising things. It's great. You know, and then you buy it, you get it in the mail. Like, oh, man, it's cheap made in China thing. Broke in two days. Right? And it's not what you expected. It. Like, it, it's, not, it's not what it was advertised to be. That's how the world is. You know, that it just entices us. It throws its best, you know, flashy gizmos at us. We go after it and we realize, like, oh, man, it's not, it's not what I signed up for. It's not what I thought it was going to be. Right? And so we chase after after something we're missing, only to find out at the end that we had it all along in Christ. That's what, that's what Gomer's going to realize. And verse 9 says, Therefore I will return and take away my grain in its time and my new wine in its season and will take back my wool and my linen given, given to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers and no one shall deliver her from my hand. Verse 11 says, I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, all her appointed feasts, and I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, of which she has said, These are my wages that my lovers have given me. So I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. I will punish her for the days of, of, of the bales to which she burned incense. She decked herself with earrings and jewelry, and she went after her lovers. But me she forgot, says the Lord. And verse 14 says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I mean, I will woo her to myself. I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness, and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Acor as a door of hope and she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. 
And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, it shall be in that day that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. And beautiful, beautiful. And so we see that God was going to crush all the ties that they had to these foreign gods, to the Baals. God was going to, to crush them. Again, to picture the nation of Israel, right? God was going to crush all the ties that they had to these foreign gods, to these foreign nations. You know, he was going to crush them. And we're told right this is that she decked herself out and went and went after her lovers. But me, she forgot, says the Lord. And so what was God going, going to do? You know, so we see that God was going to allure her, you know, and, and, and allure them as a nation, you know, back to himself. Interesting that, you know, it doesn't tell us how. Well, it tells us how, you know, but it wasn't with money. God wasn't going to allure her with money or with gold, with silver, with, with silver or by force. No, you know, but with love. So how, how was he going to allure her? He says, I will allure her, you know, meaning that ultimately, you know, that, that decision is going to be up to them. That decision was going to be up to her, right? I mean, I could sweet talk, you know, Liz all day and her, come on, be, I'm sorry, this, that, whatever. But ultimately, you know, the, the decision is hers. All right, yeah, thank you. Right? Or maybe, maybe not such a good example, but I mean, I'm trying to give a clear picture. So he was alluring the nation of Israel, you know, and, 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 and he was alluring them, you know, and it wasn't by force, it wasn't by, you know, by, with money, it wasn't with silver, it wasn't with gold, it wasn't with possessions, but it was with love. He says, I will allure her, you know, and, and so us too, you know, I mean, God never forces us to serve him or worship him or, or dedicate our lives to him, you know, but instead he invites us in. He doesn't say, come on, you have to serve me because I made you and that's it. I give you the breath in your lungs and you should be praising me. No, he invites us, you know, he invites us in. The Bible says, you know, hey, God today, come, let us reason together, right? He invites us in, he invites us into reason with him, you know, he speaks to us through his word, you know, and, and, and the choice is ours. Now, I love that because he says, I will allure her, says, and I will speak comfort to her. You know what that means? That, hey, I'm going to speak. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sweet talker. I'm going to speak love to her, you know. I'm going to speak her love language. I'm going to just, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sweet talker. I'm going to just tell her sweet things. I'm going to speak comfort to her. And then we're told right there that God says, you should call me my husband and not my master. You know, so what, what God is looking for is, is a love-based relationship. You know, not one out of fear or obligation or anything else, you know, but out of our own free will, not forced. He's saying, look, you're going to call me my husband and not my master. Right? Verse 17 says, For I will take them, I will, for, sorry, I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground. Bows and swords of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. And verse 19 says, and I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know that I am the Lord. I love that. I love that because, again, it, it, it speaks not just to, uh, to the nation of Israel, but to us as well as believers. Now, we're promised here, well, God promised them a complete restoration of relationship between Israel and God. A complete restoration. He said, I will betroth you to me forever. Now, now that word betrothed is, you know, could be replaced with that word engage. But in the Jewish sense, you know, in the Jewish custom, in the Jewish culture, when, when someone was betrothed or when someone was engaged, it's like as you're, you're, you're married. You know, it's like, that's it. You know, for us, we get engaged and you can still call for the engagement. You get cold feet, right? A couple of days before, you could do that. You know, and, and it'd be legal. You know, you're not, you're not legally bound to, to, to the person. But for, for, the, for the Jews, you know, in their culture, when, when a person was betrothed, when they were uh, committed, when they were engaged, it was like as good as if, as if you guys were already married. Uh, you just haven't, you know, uh, you know, you haven't consecrated the marriage yet. 
But, but, but yeah, it was as good as, as, as you're married in the, in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the people, in the eyes of society. It's like, man, you're married. You know, you do something, you know, against your wife, against your husband. Like, that's it, man. It's like you're, you're, committing, you're committing fornication. You know, so, and God says, I will betroth you forever. You know, so not in punishment or anger, but how? In righteousness and justice and loving kindness and mercy and in faithfulness. I love that about the Lord. You know, because when he calls us to himself, you know, um, the Bible tells us you know, in the book of Ephesians, you know, that, that, that he has bought us, you know, as a possession for himself. And, and, and as, as proof that, 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 that he's made us, you know, his own, as, as proof that he's betrothed us into himself, he gave us a stamp. You know, and that's, he gave us a ring. And that ring is the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so the, the Bible tells in Ephesians that, that, that the Holy Spirit in our hearts, the Holy Spirit in our lives is, uh, is, is that, that down payment. Is that down payment, right? We've all bought something on credit or, or bought something, you know, a, a car or something on, on payment. And you go and you put a down payment, right? A down payment is proof that, that, that you're serious about, about this possession, about owning this, right? I bought a little used car not too long ago on offer up. And the dude's like, hey, man, were you going to come or not? Oh, yeah, dude, here, look, I'm going to sell you 100 bucks so you can know for sure I'm going to come. You know, I just can't go, like, until, until the end of the week. So I was like, all right. So when I gave him the, when I sold him the 100 bucks, he took the, the ad off of offer up and he put sold. You know, even though I hadn't bought it yet, even though I hadn't given him all the money, even though the title wasn't, wasn't, wasn't signed yet, right? It was mine because I gave my down payment. And so the Bible tells us there in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit is God's down payment, you know, for us. Meaning that he's going to come back for us. You know, he's going to bring us into himself and make us, make, us, make us one with him, you know, and bring us into heaven one day. It's not yet. Not yet. It's but one day. How do we know that? Like, how, how can we believe God? How can we make sure that, that, that that's going to happen? It's Holy Spirit in our lives. Right? It's, 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 that, it's that stamp. It's that seal on our hearts. And so for the nation of Israel, again, he says, I will betroth you to me forever. And again, not in punishment because of what they've done. Not in, not in you know, a resentment. Not in, not in, in, a, in, in retaliation. But no. But in righteousness and justice and loving kindness and mercy and in faithfulness. Now for the nation of Israel as a whole, I mean, this is yet to be fulfilled. I mean, I know there's a lot of individuals, you know, a lot of Jews who have given their lives to the Lord. But for the nation as a whole, this has yet to be to be fulfilled. But for us, as, as you know, as we're considered Gentiles, Gentile believers, for us, uh, as Gentile believers in Christ, you know, we can lay hold of this invitation. Right. Where God says, hey, I'm going to be truly to me forever. And righteousness and, love, and loving kindness and mercy and love and all these things. All right. I'll do right now. Right. For us, we don't have to wait. We don't have to, you know, there's no waiting period or anything like that, man. But for anybody. Right. For us as a New Testament church, like, man, we could take hold of this promise today. We could, we could take hold of this invitation today and come in. Right. When we come to God through Christ, the Bible tells us that that wall of separation is broken down, crushed to pieces, shattered, dust. Right. We no longer need to fear God, you know, or, or fear coming to God. Why? Because now we're made righteous in Christ. Because now we're, we're, we're not made, you know, God doesn't look at our sin anymore, but now he sees us as, 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 the righteousness of Christ. I love what the Bible tells there in Hebrews. One of my favorite verses of Hebrews. Hebrews 4.16. With the writer of Hebrews he says. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace. To help in time of need. And we have that as a church. We have that as believers in Christ. We have that as as as, as, a, as, a, as stamped, as sealed, as in the beloved. We have that access to God's throne man, at any time. You may think, oh man, but I just messed up. And God knows, you know, He's omnipresent. He's, I, don't know, I know my theology. He's omnipresent. He's, om, he's omniscient. He knows what I'm going on through my mind. He knows what I just did. He knows what I was looking at on my phone. He knows all these things. How can I come to God? Well, because we're made righteous in Christ, you know, despite our failures. God says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace 
You know, when it says, let us come boldly, I imagine like, man, I'm kicking the door. I'm like, man, don't, dad. Lord, I'm here. I need your help. Lord, you know, I just messed up, you know, but I just, with all confidence, Lord, I'm here. Kicking the door, right? Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It doesn't say if, it doesn't say let us come into the throne of grace, you know, and maybe you'll find grace or maybe you'll find mercy or maybe you'll find help. No, but it's a promise. Say that we come at any time. At any time the door is open, at any time you can be sure, you know, that, that, that the shelves are always going to be full, right? And you're going to find mercy, you're going to find grace, you're going to find help in the time of need. You're going to show up and like, oh man, well, God's done with me, so he's not going to help me out no more because he's helped me out too much. Or he's not going to be gracious to me because he's been gracious to me for too long and keep on messing up. No, you walk into the, to, to the, throne, to the, to the throne room of grace, of God's grace, to, to his throne room, and you're always going to find those things on the shelf, right? Mercy, grace, help in time of need. That's the invitation that the Lord has given us. That's a promise that He's given us. You know, and again, just going through the through this uh, to the short study in, in Hosea. Okay, just I, I was going through it, you know, and, and I was as I was going through it, the Lord was really just causing me to just do a heart check. I'm like, do, 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 do. I'm all right, Lord. And and it just as that little book says, you know, it's like, I'm all right, is, is Christ the Lord of every one of my rooms in here? Or is there like a little closet that I said, All right, Lord, not in there, not in there, just don't, don't go in there. It's too I don't want you to see what's in there. Right? He wants to be Lord of all of our hearts. I heard a quote, I don't know who said it, but it says, Lord, Jesus is either Lord of all or, 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 or not at all. Something like that. Something clear related. He says, Lord, He's either Lord of all or not Lord at all. Right? And He wants to be Lord of our hearts. And we may think, man, but I, I just don't want to give that up or I, I don't want to invite Him to a little room because, man, everybody knows, you know, he, 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 he's going to be scared of what He sees in there. <laughs> Trust me, He's not scared of what He's going to see. He knows already what's in there. Right? He wants to clean it out. He wants to just be invited in. And so with that, I want to just encourage you guys. Um, and just an awesome, awesome uh, exhortation through this book of Hosea, through these first uh, few chapters. It was just an awesome, awesome exhortation of God's love for us. You know, His mercy, His grace that's always extended. And really just His, his unfailing, uh, unwavering love that He has for us. Right? Like it says there in Jeremiah, when he invited the people, he says, Hey, uh, um, return to me, backsliding children, for I am married to you. I love that. I love that because, again, God is a faithful one in this covenant of marriage. Right? Us, you know, we look at marriage in human terms and we think, Man, I'm sinful. I can mess up. Really, I got to guard my heart because if I don't guard my heart, if I'm not in the Word, if I'm not, you know, protecting my heart, my mind, you know, I, my thoughts are going to get all crazy. I might do something dumb. You know, I, I could say, look, I want to be faithful, but yet uh, at the same time, I'm sinful. So I have to really guard my heart or else my mind will just take control of it, you know, my, my sinful nature. But God says, no, no, he's the faithful one in this covenant of marriage. Right? He's the one who's never going to fail us. He's the one who's never going to leave us. He's the one who's going to fight for us. He's the one who's always going to be there. Right? And so with that, I encourage you guys to just, you know, if you haven't uh, 